Hey y'all, and welcome back to the Old Iron Talk podcast. I'm your host, Callie Gurton, and today we have a special guest, Michael, whose family is into vegetable farming, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about their history with that, and then also explore some of the tractors that he has began to recollect that his grandfather once had. We're very excited to chat with him, but first we're going to check in with our producer, Michaela. How's it going, Michaela? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. It's been a pretty good day. Pretty good week so far. Mm-hmm. Now, first, before we get started talking with Michael, I know you got a tractor fact for us. Are you going to share that with us? I will. Okay, so this one's a little bit of a challenge this week because we need to know if this is actual fact. But when I was doing my research, I found out that the Alice Chalmers U was actually the first tractor to come out with rubber tires. Really? Mm-hmm. Now, I did not actually know that. I always thought it was international because I know that they had the first tractor to come out with rubber tires, but I know it was like in 1918 and they had rubber tires on the front, but they mounted rubber or molded rubber around the lugs of the back of the tractors. So, we need your help. Yeah, which is right. Was it Alice Chalmers or international? Guess we'll find out. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's get to chatting with Michael. We thank Michaela again for helping us out here, and we're excited to chat with him and learn a bit, little bit about his family's history. All right. So we're here with Michael. Now, Michael, I specifically did not say your last name in the intro, so you're going to have to say that for us. All right. My last name is Trezera. All right. So I know going? those Italian last names can be a little uh, challenging. Yes. <laughs> I didn't want to completely butcher it, so I thought I'd just ask you how you say it for sure. Hey, that's all right. I'm uh, glad you did. Yes. <laughs> okay, so Michael, I know your family has kind of always been into vegetable farming. Can you kind of start us off? How did they get into that, or how did they get here to get into that? So uh, I guess where I ought to start, a lot of Italian families came over into either new york city or philadelphia and both sides of my family settled in south philadelphia so my great-grandparents on both sides came over from italy around the turn of the century like early 1900s 1910s um worked a lot of the produce markets in south philly and some of my great-grandparents and their families would go over into new jersey to work the vegetable farms in the uh in the summertime like just you know because they they needed the money then Mm -hmm. and my so my mom's dad's parents they did that every summer in New Jersey and then they got married and they decided they wanted to settle in New Jersey and become farmers. And that I think is the same path that a lot of Italians have followed because a lot of South Jersey became the, um, the produce, the vegetable hub of the East coast. So like I said, both sides of the family came over from Italy, settled in South Philly, moved to New Jersey. That's awesome. That's very cool. Now I know originally they always used to say, like in the United States early on, they had the three sister crops that a lot of vegetable farmers farmed. And it was, I believe, beans, corn, and squash. What was it that your family was farming when they came over? Uh, Mostly tomatoes, peppers, and probably squash, I would say. I mean, my, my grandfather especially, he farmed every kind of vegetable you can think of, but tomatoes and peppers and squash were probably the three biggest ones. And at least in our immediate area, Yeah. Um, you've probably heard people call New Jersey, the garden state. That's mm-hmm. because you can literally grow with the soil types there, the acidic soil, you can grow just about anything except 
uh, citrus fruits because I don't like the cold weather. Okay, that's very cool. Okay, now I know, Michaela, maybe if you want to bring this up, he had some vegetable tractors. If you want to bring that slideshow up. What is the variation of tractors that you typically see in vegetable farming? So with vegetable farming, a lot of your crops like tomatoes, for instance, are usually grown spaced four feet apart. The rows are spaced four feet apart, give or take. Uh, it depends on what the crop is, of course. Um, but as a result, a lot of the tractors that were ordered and shipped to New Jersey for producing those crops had to be equipped to fit down those kinds of rows without damaging any of the plants. So a lot of the tractors that were shipped to New Jersey were set up either with really long axles um, or, or they were set up as the the 40s and the 80s. Um, so it's not unusual to see tractors that were shipped to New Jersey in kind of strange configurations that you wouldn't see in most other areas of the country. So like I said, long axles, um, you know, tall clearance, uh, narrow rubber. So this the equipment you see shipped to New Jersey, um, as a result, a lot of it ended up being, um, I guess you could say collectible, because a lot of the collectors from out west started coming over and buying up a lot of the special New Jersey tractors when the farmers started selling out. Okay. Now, all these tractors in this like, little slideshow, are any of these your guys's? Where are these from? So these are all pictures of tractors that I've found in South Jersey. Uh, right. One of the pictures I think I got from an auction website, but like the 4240 high crop there, I, I took a picture of that about nine years ago. Um, the 50 with a single front wheel there, my grandfather had one almost identical to it. Okay. And that A with the single front wheel, he had one just like it. So they're all pictures just that I've, pictures of tractors that I've found locally. That's awesome. Okay, I'm gonna ask, what do you think from watching your family or you being involved in general is one of the biggest struggles a vegetable farmer faces? In this day and age, probably finding enough help because vegetable yeah. farming is very labor intense. I mean, it's not unusual to have, for a decent sized vegetable operation, it's not unusual to have a crew of you know, 20, 30, or even 40 guys out in the field, you know, whether it's picking or cultivating or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, so the biggest thing, like I said, is just getting the help. And with, you know, a lot of government regulations and mandates, it's been, especially in the last 10 to 15 years, it's been hard for a lot of farmers to get help coming from other countries. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so getting help is one uh, one part of the struggle. The other part is once you get the help, you need to adhere to really strict guidelines for housing them, you know, having you know, on-site housing and proper amenities for them. So it's, you know, there's a lot of, um, the government really cracks down on making sure that everything is done to a T when it comes to getting help. I mean, there's there's a lot of different struggles that the vegetable guys face, but getting labor's probably been the biggest. I can see that for sure. Definitely labor intensive, and it doesn't seem like people like to do labor intensive work as much anymore. So I believe that. Yeah, yep, for sure. Okay, some of the other pictures you sent us, and let's kind of talk about those here first off, since we talked about your background, was of your family farm. So we can pull mm -hmm. those up real quick. Um, this one I especially like. I love the vintage aerials. Actually, we've gone on there multiple times to look at our family farm, and it's really cool to see all those old pictures. So I enjoyed that you put that one in there. But kind of give yeah, us a rundown here on some of these that you got. Yeah, so the uh, a lot of the pictures you see here are either tomatoes or that particular one there is uh, sunflowers, actually. Mm -hmm. um, most of the, peop the people you see in the pictures are my grandfather, my maternal grandfather who passed away about four years ago. He was kind of like my my biggest inspiration as a little kid. He's the one that got me, you know, started in the farming and 
really got my my interest up. And he also sparked my interest in old tractors. So he was, we always called him a man of uh, velvet and steel because he was the hard-nosed, you know, old-school, stubborn Italian. Um, but he was also the kind who, you know, he, he loved his grandkids. He loved talking to people. Uh, he loved helping out. And he was very instrumental in the town even after he retired. Um, so he was, like I said, he was probably my biggest inspiration. And he, you know, I always looked up to him. Uh, I miss him. I bet. It's always good to have a great influence like that. And I feel like the older I've gotten too, both of my grandpas have passed away, but they definitely had a big influence in my life. And I miss them because they were mm -hmm. two incredible men. So yes, it's the parts that grandparents play in your life definitely last a long time. Absolutely. Okay. So that you said he's in a couple pictures here. I know you submitted some more pictures of your grandfathers to yourself. So there's pictures of both of my grandfathers there. Okay. Uh, the one you see pictured on the tractors is my maternal grandfather, the one who was the vegetable farmer. And then the other one holding the fish was my paternal grandfather, who was a big fisherman. So not a not a farmer per se, but the uh, the food production aspect, I think, runs in both sides of the family. Yeah. Okay, so like here, did your grandpa then move off of the farm before he passed away? Yeah, so he sold okay. the farm about 15 years ago, and uh, we actually, unfortunately, like most family farms in South Jersey, we sold out for a subdivision. So the farm was bulldozed, you know, all the equipment was sold off, and we subdivided and built houses. So he built his house in one corner of the neighborhood, and then my parents built their house directly across the street. So it was okay. it was nice to be able to live, not just to live across the street from my grandparents, but also to be on the same piece of ground that was the family farm. Yeah, that is awesome. Uh, like I said, I think a lot of, unfortunately, a, a lot of uh, New Jersey vegetable farms met the same fate. Okay. I didn't realize that. That's interesting. Kind of sad, but, you know, that's mm -hmm. how things go sometimes. Yeah, New Jersey's biggest crop is houses now, I think. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, and you used to live in New, New Jersey? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yes, so I grew yes. up in New Jersey and then I, I, I live in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania now for work. Um, but it's, you know, Jersey born and raised once you, if you grew up in Jersey, it's kind of hard to get away from it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how many tractors do you have currently? Uh, I think I'm down to 10 now, but it's, it seems like it changes all the time. So it could be 11 next week, could be 12 next week. We, we don't know. But right now I'm at 10. Okay. And I know one cool thing that you told me when we talked on the phone was you tried to collect some of the tractors that your grandpa had. Mm -hmm. Which of those have you been able to collect? So I have three of them so far. Uh, the first two are his John Deere 60 and his Ford 4000 diesel that he owned since they were pretty much new. I know the Ford he bought brand new, which was one of the only vehicles he ever bought new. And then the John Deere 60, he bought it when it was about a year or two old. And those were two of the only pieces of equipment he actually kept when he sold the farm and built the new house and everything. He's like, yeah, I want to get them old tractors restored. And we had talked about it and planned it out. And unfortunately, he never did get the chance to see them run again. But I've, I've taken the responsibility into my own hands to get them both running. So I have the 60 torn apart in my shop right now to get restored and the 4,000 is next. But I, so I have those two. Those never left the family. And then I have a John Deere 520 that he had bought. Again, he had bought when it was about a year old. Um, that tractor mostly just cultivated tomatoes its whole life. That's um, that's it right there. And that's a, that's got a pretty cool story behind it because he sold it about 20 years ago when he sold the farm, a little bit before he sold the farm. And it was 
it was pretty much destined for scrap. I mean, all, all it was wore out. It had been sitting for years. The engine was stuck. Um, he sold it to a guy for parts up in northern New Jersey, and the guy that he sold it to took all the good parts off of it, like the three-point hitch, the cultivators, the front rock shafts, all the stuff that was valuable. He took all that stuff off and just left it for dead. How you see it in that picture yeah. there, the rough picture. In around 2006 or so, there was a collector out here in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, who was restoring a 520 himself, and he was looking for a parts donor for his project. So he found this one that had been listed in Lancaster Farming, which is a pretty big uh, local newspaper, especially for classified ads. And he went up to New Jer to North Jersey to look at what was left of the tractor. And he, he was kind of disappointed with it because there wasn't much left. But then he saw that it had the extra long axles, the tomato axles on it. And he realized it was a vegetable tractor. It was kind of a specialty model. So he decided to buy it. Um, and then he he spent the next decade restoring it back to its former glory. And, and this particular collector was a bit of a purist. Um, so he, everything that he did on this tractor is about as close to the way it would have come out of the factory as possible. Like everything he did to it is pretty much exactly the way it would have been when it was new. From the pictures, it looks like he did an amazing job. So I yeah, I mean, it's like it's that. definitely better than any any kind of restoration job I could yeah. ever do. But it's it's one thing to to find a family tractor and buy it back, but to find one that's been restored to basically showroom condition. I mean, it was a it was a blessing. So that one's never going to leave the family as long as I can help it. Yeah, that's awesome. I love hearing that. I love when people try and get tractors back to the family farm. So I think that's mm -hmm. awesome that you've been doing that. Do you mind, Michaela, pulling up the John Deere 16 Ford photos real quick? You just want to kind of briefly highlight over those real quick. Yeah. So the 60 um, that you see there, that one's torn apart in my shop right now. That's okay. just been a long, ongoing restoration project. I just work on it as I have time. And then the Ford the Ford 4000 you see there, that was the other workhorse. That was like the one that he would jump on and use pretty much every day. And I have all the original service records over the lifespan of that tractor. So it had, I think it had around 15,000 hours on it when it was finally parked in the early 90s. Um, but that one is next on the list to get restored after the 60s done. And the 60 had up until last year when I brought it up here to my house in Pennsylvania, that 60 had never left its hometown. So, I mean, it, it, it had traveled about 10 miles from the dealership where it was sold new wow. in Sweetsboro, New Jersey. And it had lived on our family for its whole life. And that's the one track that and the 4,000 are the tractors that everybody even now talks about. You know, they have all kinds of memories driving it, learning to drive on it. Uh, oh, we pulled barns down with that tractor. We pulled yeah. wagons with it. You know, we beat the crap out of that tractor and it still kept running. So that, I mean, that definitely, uh, it goes to show you how tough them things were. It does. Yes, that is for sure. Do you have a show or event coming up? Do you want to promote for the 2024 season? List your event today with Old Iron Garage. We will help promote and highlight your event for free. Check out some of our current shows and events happening near you. To get started, visit oldirongarage.com. Okay, oh. so I know a common thing out in like the East Coast and in New Jersey and all the vegetable states in general, a lot of people have like roadside vegetable stands. Did your family do that? 
Uh, yes, they did. So my my grandmother had a roadside stand back in the 70s and 80s where she would sell a lot of the produce that they had grown. Um, and then they when they got out of farming in the mid 80s, she you know, she did away with it. But mm-hmm. I have had a couple of extended family members that have owned roadside stands over the years as well. And uh, one of them actually owned a stand that was on a pretty major road right through our hometown, Route 322. He used to tell all kinds of stories stories of oh this stopped in or this you know football play stopped into the stands so there's always uh i mean you, you never know who's going to stop in to buy produce it, it's yeah. really amazing what uh you know it's it's amazing to see that people will go out of their way to buy good fresh locally made produce yeah or locally I grown love, i should say i love like garden tomatoes that's the best kind of tomato you can have <laughs> absolutely <laughs> they are so good Okay, we kind of touched a little bit with your grandpa about garden tractors, but I know you submitted quite a few photos for those too. Do you own these? Do you own any garden tractors, or what's like your story with your garden tractor hobby? Yeah, so I have uh, I have four garden tractors right now. I think the most I ever had at one time was eight or nine. Um, I kind of bought those as a as a leeway into collecting the bigger tractors just because up up until well, up until I moved out of my parents' house, I didn't really have the space or the shop space to work on the bigger tractors. So yeah. I bought a garden tractor just to kind of get me started, which was a John Deere 210. You'll see in a couple of those pictures. Uh, I still have that tractor today. I'm never going to get rid of it, but I restored that one. That's kind of the, the tra- tractor where I picked up on my mechanical abilities. Um, you know, I did a lot of learn with it. My grandfather helped me restore it. Um, so that, like I said, that was kind of the leeway or dare I say the, uh, the gateway drug into the hobby. Um, and then from there, it just kind of snowballed. I've, I've owned probably 50 more garden tractors since then. And once I moved out of my parents' house and got my own shop space, then I started getting up into the bigger tractors. Um, but garden tractors are neat because they're, they're cheap to buy. They're easy to haul. They're easy to store. And they're a great way to get into the hobby. That's true. I feel like Carl told me that too. <laughs> yep. And I, I have to, I owe him a thank you and I owe him a shout out because he's, you know, he's the one that put the word in for me here. And he's kind of, he's been a big help getting me going in the hobby, getting me the parts I need or, you know, fabricating little pieces for me here and there or getting me a special attachment or accessory I need. So, you know, he's been a big help the last few years with me being in this hobby. Well, that's great. We do love Carl. He's always there to help out. So I love that. Yeah, okay. Shout out to the Pope. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that is it. The Pope of John Deere. Um, okay, yeah. I've got to ask, what's the story with the tractor you've got in front of Kane State Stadium? So that picture there is of my Cup Cadet 782 garden tractor that I bought while I was a student at Penn State. Um, out in central Pennsylvania, garden tractor pulls are like one of the big sports, one of the big events that people like to go to or, or be involved in. And mm-hmm. Cup Cadets are usually the most common model. Uh, you see out there. So there were a lot of Cup Cadet tractors in Pennsylvania. And I just kind of, I wanted one to work on in my spare time while I was in college. Um, so I picked this 782 up from a friend of mine. Uh, it had it, it had the original engine in it still. It was actually a one-owner machine until he got it. And then he didn't do anything with it. But the original engine was blown up. It had a broken rod. Um, so I bought it pretty cheap. Uh, I fixed it up. I swapped another engine into it. I added power steering. I added uh, dual brakes, kind of like split brake pedals on a farm tractor. I added a three-point hitch um, and a couple of other accessories to it. And then I started taking it to local plow day events. You can see I have a one-bottom Brindley plow Mm -hmm. hooked up to it. And like I said, I built that. I kind of designed that actually from my my college apartment when I was at Penn State and uh, just kind of 
you know, planned it out, you know, looked up part numbers, um, tried to see if this engine would work or if this part would work. And then once I got all the pieces, I put it together in the shop there at uh, Penn State in the Ag Engineering Building. And um, it was just kind of something I did in my free time, junior and senior year of college. And I still have the tractor now. I use it for plow days and just for just for going to local shows. Um, but that was a simple uh, kind of a symbol of my time at Penn State. Okay. So can I ask, what did you go to college for? I went for uh, ag systems management. Biorenewable systems is what the Penn State major is called, but it's kind of like uh, ag engineering and ag business put together. Um, it's more of a hands-on approach to ag business, I would say. Uh, and I have a minor in off-road equipment as well. So it was, it's kind of, uh, I always say that, that that minor was made specifically for me. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Okay, so what do you do now, like, for work? How do you apply that? So I've worked for a local Case IH equipment dealership. I worked in the sales department uh, doing kind of like sales and customer support. I was getting out on the farms, uh, meeting with a lot of the customers, following up on deals, um, having them sign paperwork or sign sales orders or deliver equipment, um, and just kind of feeling the customer complaints. Mm -hmm. Um, I like getting out on the farm, being there with the farmers in person, kind of shaking their hand and, you know, asking if they need help or anything I can help with. Yeah, um, I, I think yeah. kind of ties back into what my grandfather taught me, you know, as a little kid. Um, yeah. That just it's like I said, farming is kind of something that sticks with you. And uh, I've said so ever since my family sold out 15 years ago, I wanted to give back one way or another. So I figure. Yeah, you know, this is why I'm not I'm not a farmer per se, but at least I get to help the guys that are still, you know, still putting it out there, still fighting the fight. Yeah, you're still making a difference in the ag industry. So that definitely is important too, no matter what part you play in that puzzle. So that's great. Okay, I think I maybe know the answer to this question, but maybe not. Maybe you'll surprise me. Who has taught you the most about your career, life, and your hobby in general? I'd have to say my grandfather. I mean, there, there's a lot of people that I can uh, that I have to thank for that, but especially my grandfather. I mean, he was, you know, I was always like his right hand man when I was growing up and him and I would go around, visit the farmers. We go to shows together. We work on stuff together. He taught me how to do maintenance on, on vehicles and stuff like that. He helped me with my first restoration projects. Um, so he, he's definitely my biggest influence. Yeah. Uh, you know, my, my grandfather, on my other side, he was a businessman. He had the, uh, a fish or a, uh, a seafood dip company make like crab dips and spreads and things like that. Um, so we would go fishing with him in the summertime. And then my uncles who all grew up on the farm, you know, they have helped me over the years as well. And now that my grandfather's passed away, my uncles are kind of like my, my go-to if I, if I have a question about, um, you know, what do I need to do for my tomato plants or, or um, you know, to, if I want to hear about the history of the family farm, like stuff that I didn't know before, I always go to them yeah. and they, they have all kinds of stories to tell me. So I, <laughs> so, I mean, like I said, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of influences in my life, but my, my grandfather on my mom's side was most likely, you know, he, he was definitely the, the biggest one, the biggest okay. influence for me. Well, that's great. They are, like I said, great influences to have. So that's awesome. Okay. Do you have an interest in getting back into vegetable farming? I would say yes, definitely not full time though. Just I mean, because there's a lot of um, you know there's a lot of limiting factors. Like I said earlier, you know, getting the help to do it on a big scale, um, being able to afford the land, I think is one of the bigger struggles right now, aside yeah. from labor. 
Um, and it's just, there's, there's a lot of overhead. And the thing is, with any kind of farming, you know, farmers rely on just a couple paychecks a year. And all it takes is one late season frost or one heavy hailstorm to wipe out your entire year. So it, it's, you know, there's a lot of risk involved. Um, but I, my, my girlfriend and I have talked about maybe doing a little bit of vegetable farming just as, as like a hobby farm on the side, just to, you know, maybe a 10, 15 acre field with a little roadside stand or a couple of greenhouses just to kind of, you know, relive the old family traditions. And at the end of the day, like we said before, there's nothing like being able to eat your own crop, your own yeah. produce. <laughs> no, there sure isn't. So that would be awesome. Well, I hope you guys could do that someday. That would be fun. Okay. Thanks. The I last... hope so too. <laughs> I believe you got it. Don't forget to check out our Old Iron Garage app. Our app includes a community section where you can connect with fellow tractor enthusiasts, share photos, and even buy and sell vintage iron. So whether you're a seasoned collector, just starting out, or simply have a love for old iron, download Old Iron Garage today and unlock the power of knowledge at your fingertips. Join us today by searching Old Iron Garage in your app store. I think the last pictures that you submitted <laughs> that we haven't talked about yet was some trucks. Were these ones that were used by you guys or these ones that you owned? What are all of these from? So there's a variety in here. The the white and blue Ford trucks you see belong to my uncle who had a landscaping business who is also does a little bit of vegetable farming and nursery. Um, so that they were from his family business. And then you see that that black and orange Peterbilt there. Uh, that one actually was pretty famous on YouTube. That was one that uh, a friend of mine got when I was in college up at Penn State. Um, okay. a, a family or not a family friend, but a, I think it was a guy he went to high school with had called him up and said, hey, I know you guys collect and sell old trucks. I got one here coming from an estate, if you'd be interested. And he sent us a picture of it, and it was this old, you know, Peterbilt 359, which was like an, an iconic truck, you know, even still today is an iconic truck. Um, and we had never had a Peterbilt before with all the trucks that we had fixed up or that my friend had bought and sold. Um, so we went and took a look at it, agreed to buy it. We, you know, started it up in the woods there drug it out of the field where it had been sitting for years and literally drove it home and i put a video of it on youtube and i think now it's got about 18 million views but it was uh, it blew up yeah it blew up literally overnight and uh it the, the truck kind of became a celebrity and uh it we, we he my friend actually did end up selling it a guy up in northern pennsylvania is running it now he pulls uh flatbed with it i think he was pulling tanker with it too for a little bit if i'm if i remember correctly um but some of the guys watching this video may recognize that truck so that was uh it was neat to be able to partake in that that was just one you know video that i made i said oh i'll, I'll put this on youtube see uh you know i'm sure somebody out here would appreciate this and that was five years ago and i'm still getting a ton of views and comments on that video today so it was uh, it was neat to be a part of that. I bet, yeah, that is special. I mean, that is an awesome truck, so I believe it. But that is amazing that it blew up like that. Now, is that on your personal Thanks. YouTube, or why couldn't people find that video? Uh, yeah, it's on my personal YouTube channel, uh, Michael T JD sixty. So I, I've had the truck trucks are one of my other my other little hobbies. I don't really I'm right now financially I'm not in a good spot to to get into that myself because. 
tractors are expensive enough, but someday down the road, I would like to get an old semi truck, like an old Peterbilt or an old Kenworth or something, just to to haul tractors around the shows with. Um, the red yeah, dump truck you see there, that red, that red Peterbilt uh, uncle who passed away, that was uh, his livelihood. That was a truck that he bought new and he ran every day. And that was a truck that I grew up riding in. So that was uh, between, you know, growing up around the vegetable farming and tractors and then growing up riding in my uncle's dump truck, that was, uh, you know, that was a big part of my childhood. And it kind of, <laughs> you know, there's there's something to be said about being a little kid sitting up high on an air seat and, you know, looking out over the road, looking down at all the cars below you. It just, you, when you're a little kid riding in a big truck like that, you just feel like the king of the world. Yeah, you do. It feels like a dream. So that's awesome. So it sounds like you've had some great experiences when you were growing up. So I'm glad that you had those and they still today play an important impact in your life. Okay. Absolutely. I'm very, very fortunate, very blessed. Yes, that is awesome. Okay, so I know you've collected three tractors that your grandpa had. Are there any mm -hmm. more, or do you have a dream tractor that you're trying to get? Well, I would say yes to both questions. Uh, my grandfather had a total of, I think, 11 tractors on the farm, and I I have three of them. I've tracked down three more of them. And the rest I still have to track down yet. So that that's a two of them are still local in New Jersey. They they got sold to a farm just down the road from from my family's farm. Uh, and then one of them I just tracked down recently in Connecticut. Uh, so I'm hoping maybe I can buy that one back. So there's there's probably two dream tractors that I would like to own. Uh, the first one would be like a a generation two John Deere tractor with the sound guard body. So like a 4430, 4440 or something in that size range. I always liked the way they looked. I always liked them as a little kid. Uh, another family farmer friend of ours had a 4440 when I was a kid and they just seeing that on his farm, I was like, man, I want one of those. Yeah. So that would be one. Um, but a, a slightly more realistic one would be a John Deere 730 diesel vegetable tractor. Okay. Um, so awesome. with, you know, long rear axles, uh, single front wheel, uh, high clearance, three-point hitch. Um, there were a couple of John Deere 730s that were shipped to New Jersey, set up that way for vegetable use, but they're few and far in between. Um, a friend of mine in northern New Jersey has one, and then there's still one in South Jersey now. Uh, it's still in the original family. I don't think the guy's son is ready to sell it yet, but I'm hoping that when he is ready that I can scoop it up. That would be um, an awesome tracker to have. Um, and I figure at least that way, I have one of each generation of the, the number two-cylinder uh, two tractors. So I have the 60 vegetable, the 520 vegetable, and then I'll have a 730, have some uh, have some variety. No, that's cool. That'll be awesome. I hope you get that one day, too. You have to share it Thanks. with us if you do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is awesome. Well, hey, I think we're about out of time, but I appreciate you coming on here today. If hey, you thank you. Wanna, appreciate yeah. it. If you ever do start vegetable farming, you'll have to let us know, and maybe you can get back on here and show us some demonstrations with your tractors. Okay, hey, sounds good. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being on here today, Michael. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yep, thank you. You can find all our source material for our episodes on our website, oldirongarage.com. We encourage everyone to join us on Old Iron Garage and connect with other collectors. Again, we would like to thank Michael for joining us today. We really enjoyed learning about his family's history in vegetable farming and always love hearing stories of family members trying to get tractors back to the family farm. 
You can submit your collection photos to info at oldirongarage.com to be featured at the end of our episodes. Feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions or would like to join us on a future episode of Old Iron Talk. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.